Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. So I'm a relationship therapist. We as humans live in hope, we, especially us females. We have the fairy tale idea of how things should be. Mm-hmm. And I think when we get into something, it's very difficult to break that pattern with someone and actually see it for what it is. Take the wide lens and look out and look at the reality. We, as a society especially, we, we're so engrossed in oh, is that person a narcissist? Is this person that? Oh, this person did this to me. They said that to me. When actually we never stop and go, but why am I tolerating that? Relationships are hard and you've got to work at it. Oh God, I don't know if people are going to hate me for saying this. Do you think compatibility is more important or love is more important? Open relationships are a new phenomenon here. Yeah. Is it the way of the world? Is it, is it going to be the future that we're all in open relationships? How do you spot a narcissist? Therapy. When I have a client who is in a toxic or abusive relationship, whatever you want to call it, an unhealthy relationship, and I ask them, what do you love about your partner? Nine times out of ten, this person will say to me, Christina, welcome to Millennial Mind. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. You didn't do uh, another response that we just talked about, did you? <laughs> Had time, so I came. <laughs> but no, I'm really excited to have you here. It's it's such a pleasure to to speak to you today because so many people have asked me about relationships and so many people have asked me how to get out of a toxic relationship. So many people have asked me how they find someone. And I feel love is something that we all experience. Sometimes it's one-sided, sometimes it's two ways, and sometimes it is... I guess what's the alternative? I don't know. <laughs> you don't feel it. But I guess it's something that everyone wants to talk about. And I want to start off with your journey, your experience and kind of getting into this field. But yeah. for people who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm a relationship therapist. Mm-hmm. And well, I'll tell you in a second how I kind of got into it. But actually, it's a very sort of new field for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it was always part of my identity and part of my life. I just think I kind of ignored it and kind of suppressed it and did other things and then eventually I just realized actually no I need to go I I need to follow my passion I need to trust my instincts and Mm -hmm. and I did and here I am so amazing I work with clients all over the world 
um, I, I specialize in relationships, but I also do many other things in the therapy fields, you know, mental health, you know, okay. grief, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but I'm kind of known as the uh, relationship therapist. So, so you can solve all, all our problems today. Uh, <laughs> well, everyone, ev everyone basically send in your questions and <laughs> yeah. Sina will solve your relationship. Boom, done. <laughs> We're lucky this isn't a live podcast. Yeah, gosh. Talking about relationships, what are some of the things that people always ask you about? I think the one of the, yeah, for me, people always come up to me and it's like, I love this person so much, but it's not working. How can I make it work? Right. That's always one of the biggest questions people ask me. And often or not, it's, it's yeah, it's to do with toxic relationships and it's, it's never how do I get out of this? It's normally, yeah, how can I how stay can I in it? Yeah, how can I stay in it? And what do you think that is? I think we as humans live in hope, we, especially us females. We have the fairy tale idea of how things should be. Mm -hmm. And I think when we get into something, it's very difficult to break that pattern with someone and actually see it for what it is. Take the wide lens and look out and look at the reality. And that's, that's, a, that's a tough pill to swallow. You know, you, mm -hmm. you walked into this relationship thinking it was going to be something that you wanted it to be. And it turned out it isn't or wasn't. And to walk away from that when you've made so much effort into it as well. It's hard. It's really hard. And we attach a lot of value to time. Yes. I certainly did when I was younger. I used to think, I've spent so much time in this relationship. Yeah. What are people going to think of me? And time equals attachment. Absolutely. And when you're attached to someone, you almost feel indebted to them. Yeah. Because there's loads of things that people do for you on a daily basis when you're around them all the time. And you almost feel, well, they did that for me. They made that change for me. Nobody's perfect. I've been through this whole cycle myself, as you can tell. <laughs> then, you know, I can't expect them to change. I'm not perfect. I've done loads of things wrong. So it must be me. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to blame yourself in that situation. But often, sometimes it could be you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this might sound a little bit like I'm, and I'm really not blaming anyone. I don't want to ever feel like someone is genuinely a victim in an abusive or toxic relationship. I don't want them to think, oh my God, it is, it's my fault at right. all. It's not what I'm, I'm going to say. But, you know, I think we, as a society, especially, we, we're so engrossed in, oh, is that person a narcissist? Is this person that, oh, this person did this to me. They said that to me. When actually we never stop and go, but why am I tolerating that? Mm. why why am I putting up with that abuse or that toxicity or, or whatever it is that you know you're not happy with or why are you letting them cross your boundaries why I think as a woman and I, and I felt this is you should grit and bear and you shouldn't be difficult and you should and you're not going to get the perfect partner is what I was told a lot of the time you're never going to find the perfect person and what do you exactly want from a person because they have this 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 and this and I think unless you've had a relationship in which someone is so subconsciously good for you, you'll never understand it. Because mm -hmm. if consciously, and what I mean consciously is on paper, if someone has all those things that people desire, typically they have a good education, they have a good standing, they, you know, they can support themselves, they're good looking, yeah. they're seven foot nine, whatever it is, whatever floats your boat. But generally, if, if you have a lot of those things that people define to be good, people will say, well, no one's personality is perfect. Mm -hmm. And what's really tough in those situations is recognizing when you should leave. Yeah. Now, how do you recognize when you should leave? I think you're absolutely right. No one is perfect. 
But I think, and I often say this to clients, when we walk into a relationship, you have to have an idea of what you want, whether mm-hmm. that's someone who's seven foot nine, <laughs> or, you know, is it honesty? Is it loyalty? Is it all the basics? Yes. What exactly is it that you want from life and your life partner? And when we meet someone, they're not going to know our list. They're not going to be mind readers. So we have to communicate that. And, sure. you know, that's my boundary. That's my line. That's my expectation. Here it is on the table. What do you think? And it's up to that person whether they want to pick up your cards and go, yeah, okay, I'm going to work and make sure, you know, I I meet you in the middle there or Mm -hmm. whatever. And if over time, again and again and again, they're not respecting you, they're crossing lines, they're not, you know, they can't be bothered to live up to your expectation or standard, then maybe it's a check-in point where, are we going to work? Are we compatible? Are we aligned? Because... You know, I've stated what I wanted as as I'm hoping that the, your partner did as well. Mm-hmm. But if you're not meeting the light, uh, if you're not meeting those needs, then what are you guys doing? Well, I think a lot of people say, well, as millennials, you know, you guys just love quitting relationships. You know, divorce rates are through the roof. Mm-hmm. You all want something you can't have. You're comparing your life to online, to this amazing social media relationship that actually has no substance behind it and you have no idea. You're comparing your life to a movie. So... What do you think on that? Do you think we are just quitting? Because there's such a paradox here, and I face this myself when I had to decide, do I realize that I'm deeply unhappy within myself every single day, or am I quitting on something Mm -hmm. because I like to quit on things and because I'm just giving up? Mm -hmm. And what's so difficult in that situation is you're you're second-guessing yourself on so many different levels, but because the narrative is forced on you that as millennials you give up on your relationship, it pulls you back into that toxic relationship. And at that time you, f- you just keep feeling unhappier and unhappier. So you yeah. stay in it for longer and then that time pressure is even bigger. So how do you navigate through that? Such a point because it's so interesting to me when I say to people, relationships are hard and you've got to work at it. Right Now that's not to say if your relationship is toxic and unhealthy, you yeah. need to work at it. <laughs> yeah. Because like we were just saying a second ago, you need, you know, if your needs are not being met and lines are being crossed, then you've got to have a hard talk with yourself and go, am I happy? Mm. The answer is probably no. Okay, then fine. This is, you know, I've made, I've done what I need to do. I've done what I said. My partner's not meeting my needs. I've got to call it a day. Yeah. That's not quitting. That's just life. <laughs> it didn't work out, you know, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think so many people just get this idea that it's going to be this, you know, easy ride. There's not going to be any blips, not going to be any arguments. Going to be no, best friends forever. Yeah, it's just not. Re- it's just not true. You know, and again, so many people say, "Oh, um, the, the sort of the view on cheating as well is just it happens." Now, that's not to say that once cheater always a cheat. I'm actually a believer in if you both want to end that old relationship and both want to enter a new relationship and work together, you know, towards wow. a new future, you can absolutely do it, but you both have got to want to work at it. So it's a That's bit of so an attitude. That's so interesting. Mm. I feel that with cheating, and I was just about to talk to you on that. Oh. <laughs> I think that there, and oh God, I don't know if people are going to hate me for saying this, but I think that there is such a misconception Mm-hmm. that you will only ever fancy or love one person for the rest of your life. And I'm sure my mom is, I hope my mom isn't watching this podcast about to <laughs> slice my throat off for saying that. But I think that it's just not spoken about. Mm-hmm. People can say all the time, like, oh, that girl's fit. 
But for some people, you're going to connect with someone. Mm -hmm. And that can just happen when you meet them for the first time. It doesn't have to be that you go for a drink with them or Mm -hmm. you go on a date with them or whatever when you're in a relationship. But I'm saying that I could be walking across the street. I could be paying for my coffee. And I could just connect with a barista. Barista? How do you say it? What's that called? (laughs) ruined that story, didn't I? Coffee coffee guy. (laughs) But I could just connect with them. Yeah. And in that moment, I know I have a connection with someone mm-hmm. because some people connect with people a lot easy, easier and some people don't. And for some people, it's just very natural. They just meet someone and they vibe with them. And what's hard in that situation is some people are then fed this narrative of you will always find something better. Yeah. And I've heard this from someone else that says, you know, I met this girl and I just connected with her so easily. And it's really made me doubt my relationship because mm. I thought if I connect with her so much and I got along with her mm-hmm. so much, it means I don't love my partner. And I was like, that's not true. You don't have to just have like one person you connect with and one person you have chemistry with, but it is about discipline and control. Absolutely. So you meet someone and you connect with them and you have chemistry with them. And they're like, let's just go for a friendly coffee. If you're in a relationship, I don't think you should go. But that's my opinion. Yeah. Because I think it could lead down a rabbit hole. Oh, Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. I think us to expect that our partner is going to meet every single need Mm -hmm. and whether that's spiritual, emotional, romantic, whatever, that is, that is ridiculous. That's impossible, especially Mm -hmm. to expect one person to meet that. So, and I think, yeah, absolutely. It's scientific, you know, in us that we're always going to find other people attractive. Our heads will be turned. It's whether or not we act on it. But it's hard to hear that because if my partner told me that, Oh, I connected with this girl at the coffee shop and <laughs> yeah. we had a really good connection. And I'd be like, well, yeah. that's nice. Go, Who is she? Go bloody be with the girl from the coffee shop. Do you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Or if I'm if I if I was with him and he was like, you know, this person just we really got along so well and we just had such a good connection, yeah. I'd be genuinely upset, I yeah. think. Yeah. Why is that? Because I'm super secure with him, by the way. I actually yeah. don't ever feel jealous generally. Yeah. Well, firstly, there's the societal aspect. You know, you've just told me as, you know, uh, you know, growing up, that's kind of what it's driven in us. It's we're conditioned to believe it's one person, one person forever. Mm-hmm. You know, you only have one soulmate. It's not true. It's just not true. Um, and also, it might be a little bit of insecurity. I'm not saying your relationship is, you know, insecure yeah. and stable, but there might be some sort of little bit of triggers in you, maybe from past relationships where there is a bit of a, I don't want to say control, but a bit of a dominance territory. It's yeah. kind of like, this is my partner, this is mine. No one else yeah. can ever look and he can't look and therefore mm-hmm. we're going to be together forever. It's, um, so that m- might be a bit of that aspect too. I think it's more that you feel offended that you're not that whole person for someone else. Yeah. And whilst it's unrealistic because I wouldn't expect my partner to be that for me, it would be hard to know that I wasn't that for him. Yeah. And that can be hard for people to absorb. And I think a lot of people feel sad that they're not everything for their partner so how would how would they move on from that I think you've got to own it what are the things that your Mm -hmm. partner loves in you that you know Mm -hmm. damn well that they do love you for that and again it's a communication thing asking your partner Mm -hmm. you know it sounds a bit self-indulgent but sometimes we all need a bit of reassurance you know what is it that you love about me you know and that's okay you Mm -hmm. know sometimes we have to kind of you know, remind ourselves of the good qualities, you know, about us, what we bring to the table in all of our relationships. And definitely just a bit of a reminder. I think the number one thing that has been really helpful for me in all my relationships is to communicate the five love languages. Oh, yes. Which I'm sure you know. Oh, I love it. And whilst I have all of those, whilst I literally am like, I need love from all of those places. (laughs) If you guys don't know about the five love languages, um, 
I'll just tell you about them actually. I was like, go read the book. But that's, that's not the point of this podcast, is it? I meant to tell you what, <laughs> what it is. Purposes. So the five love languages are, actually, you can tell me. We got, we got touch, so yep. physical contact. We've got acts of service. So your partner bringing you a cup of tea in the morning or coffee in the morning. Yeah, that's me as well. I quite like that one. We've got, oh God, you read Presents. Now. Presents. Like gifts. Yep, gifts. So, yep. you know, flowers every week. Yeah. That's, if that is something yep. you really enjoy. And quality time. Quality time, yeah. So spending, obviously. Good time together, communicating. That's also me. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. What's the fifth one? The fifth one is words of affirmation. There you go. That and how funny. That's my favorite. That's your, that's your number one. <laughs> yeah. language. So I think I think there's those five love languages are applicable to everyone. Yeah. It's just we rank them all in different orders. Yes. So for some people, like for me, acts of service is number one, but that's also with quality time. Yeah. Because weirdly, if I don't see my partner for like a week or two weeks, I feel very disconnected. Yeah. And then I feel very like yeah okay whatever and he's just like what's wrong with you and I'm like well I haven't seen you for two weeks and he's just like yeah because I was like you know busy or you were busy like you don't want to see me and I'm just like yeah I feel disconnected and he's like what the hell (laughs) so it's like so funny because like if I don't before we used to see each other like once or twice a week and we used to wait like five days and on a Friday he'd be like I know I haven't seen you all week but just please be nice (laughs) because I don't know what it is I feel very disconnected from someone and when I feel disconnected Mm. from someone do you push them away I think I'm just not as, um, like, I'm not as touchy. So, like, physical touch is also my love language. Like, I'm very touchy, even with my friends. Like, I'm very, like, emotional like that, I guess. Yeah. And so, if I'm like that, I'll be like, oh, hi. And he'll be like, what the hell? What's wrong with you? And it's weird. I think it's, if I'm honest, if I think deeper, if someone doesn't want, if if I don't see someone for a long time, because I'm so independent, I feel like it mm. pushes me to be even more independent. Mm-hmm. And if I can live without them, I think, well, I don't need you. And when I don't need someone, I feel that I don't have as much love for them. Mm. It's bizarre. I know people are looking at me thinking you're a bloody lunatic. It is. But that's an extreme. I'm, I'm telling yeah. you the extreme. I obviously do not feel that about my partner when I don't see him for a week, everyone. <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> I'm just saying, just disclaimer. <laughs> I'm just saying, though, that... If he were to go and live in another country, if we were to live apart, it would significantly impact me. Whilst I know a lot of people can deal with a long distance relationship and it doesn't significantly impact them. But Mm -hmm. I feel that if you're able to live without someone for a long time Mm -hmm. and you're okay with it, then you don't love them. And that is because I think my parents are like have such a strong love Mm -hmm. and my dad is obsessed with my mom. Yeah. And so it's been like ingrained in me that they don't really want to be apart. Because my dad used to travel for work, but he used to fly mm-hmm. to and from Holland every day so he could see my mom every night. Oh. So in my head, I think it's like from a childhood yeah. that like my dad made that effort for my mom. So if doesn't someone doesn't make the effort for me, they don't love me, I think. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Just therapize myself. I was also thinking, podcast. is it a protection thing as well for you? Definitely. You know, like if you haven't seen someone for a while... And I don't know, that distance creates this insecurity, creates this sort of, oh, I, I'm actually self-sufficient on my own. That's fine. Yeah. And they come back. You've got the wall up. Yeah. Because it's like, actually, I don't want to be hurt. So mm. Does that make sense? It's like a protection yeah. thing. When actually, really deep down, you want to invite them over sure. the wall. Yeah. But you're kind of like, nope. <laughs> yeah. I think so. I think it's definitely all about protection as well. But I really think from your childhood... So many of the experiences that you didn't realize that you experienced yeah. affect you growing up as oh, you grow older. Now, we spoke about this off camera that you had an eating disorder when you were younger, didn't I you? I did. And how did that affect you? I mean, growing up. I mean, that's a stupid question. <laughs> what, what a dumb question from me. Any more stupid questions? How did an eating disorder affect you in your life? 
Oh, yeah. And it was interesting, actually, because I was in the modeling world. And that was this disorder came on way before I even was in the modeling world, which you would think was where it started. And it didn't. It actually started from, funnily enough, a relationship. I fancied this guy at school. No way. Absolutely adored him. And I overheard him say to somebody, yeah, Stina's all right, but um, she's a bit chubby. And... I died inside, literally. I remember, I was 13. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, did he just say that? And anyway, it was school holidays. And I I went home and um, I made a pact to myself. I was like, right, let's get skinny. It was all to impress him. And I basically starved myself. I say basically, I did. I didn't eat. I was eating pretty much an apple a day. And as you can only imagine, I dropped weight drastically to the point where actually my hair started falling out. You know, I, my mum took me to the doctors because she was like, you know, what, what's going, going on? Um, and I, in my, I guess, I don't know how to say this, but I guess for me, I realised, oh God, this is a problem. I need to pretend that there isn't a problem. So I kind of very cleverly <laughs> said to the doctor, oh no, no, I'm fine, it's fine. It's just, you know, stress with schoolwork, blah, 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 blah. GCSEs are coming up soon, you know, blah, blah, blah. Managed to kind of convince everyone that there wasn't a problem pretending to eat, you know, uh, big school dinners for lunch. So my mum just thought when I came home for dinner, I wasn't that hungry because I'd eaten so much in the day. So she was like, oh, okay, fine. You know, it Mm -hmm, happened. So I just like pick and like move things around my plate. And she was none the wiser. Um, So yeah, I, it was all for this guy and all to impress him. And then anyway, after the school holidays, I came back to school, obviously completely different, a lot Mm -hmm. skinnier. Um, and uh, I remember we came, we actually, we walked into school at the same time together. Our mums dropped us off at school and in we walked and he was like, oh my God, hi. And I was like, hi. And then within a month we were, we were dating. So it was almost like validation that yeah. he liked me because I was now skinny. Yeah. And that probably actually wasn't the case, but in my head it was. So while we were dating, I just continued to tell myself, don't eat that, keep skinny because you don't want to be chubby Steena again. I mean, I was not chubby. And even if I was, it doesn't matter. But it's just wild to me that that was why. It was all to do with a relationship. And I think people don't, I think eating disorders are really misunderstood. I think people think that you just starve yourself because you don't want to eat and you have the control to do that because you're obsessed with how you look. It's actually all about self-love and a deeper insecurity. And I think it's a form of depression, actually. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I was 100% not well. Mm-hmm. And obviously eating disorder. But I actually think at that time I was, I had low self-esteem. I didn't yeah. quite like myself. I wasn't connecting with other people in my year. We were actually quite a small year. Um, I went to a boarding school. So I, while I didn't board, a lot of the kids did. So in the, in the school holidays, everyone went home and I was kind of just left in Somerset <laughs> in the country on my own, you know. So I didn't really have that many friends growing up. I wow. did, but they all were living in different countries. <laughs> so it was actually quite a lonely time for me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think then add that pressure of I've got to be skinny to keep this guy and to impress him. And again, it's disclaimer, it's not his fault, but it's just the power of words and how that can affect you. And how did you get out of that? Because I think a lot of people listening and watching this podcast, they're stuck in a rut. Yes. And when you're stuck in a rut and you have low self-worth and you have low self-esteem and you're beating yourself up every single day with these horrible messages. Yes. It's difficult to get out. Completely. I was coming up to my, I mean, to be honest with you, it always will be there 
with me. I can still hear that inner voice every now and again. It's like, you know, it's, it's deep in there. It, it tells mm-hmm. me every now and again, you know, oh, don't eat that. Oh, you don't look that good today. And you just have to hush it. But for me, the pivotal moment of actually going to get help, I went to, I went to a therapist, was when my period stopped. So for me, I was like, I've pushed it too far. And also people were, it, it, what went from, wow, you look amazing. It started to be like, God, eat a, eat a donut. God, eat a pie. You know, it, the, 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 the validation mm-hmm. changed to actually insults. And again, I was just living for what people were saying. But when people were coming to me with concern, it, it made me think, oh God, I've gone too far. So I went to get help. And how has it affected you kind of in your journey now? Because there's a lot of things we spoke about in terms of that attachment. Yeah. Um, I think nowadays, well, now I have a great handle on it. But like I said to you, I know through therapy, Mm -hmm. it's always there. When you have something like that, it's like being an addict. You know, once you're an addict, you might be sober, but you can't. It's not like you can have one glass of wine, you know, and be okay. That can actually send you off the edge. You, you know, you have to understand that it is in you. It's here with you forever for life. Mm-hmm. So it's for me, it's a case of being aware. You know, if I am starting to have that negative self-talk and inner dialogue, saying you know nasty things about myself and my appearance, or you know, like I said, don't eat that, or restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I have to kind of lean forward and lean in and go, okay, what's going on here? Why am I, why am I talking to myself like that? And often it's because I'm stressed with work mm-hmm. or it's, I don't know, I've had a fallout with the boyfriend or whatever, or whoever, you know, it's, yeah. it's often a stem from something that it might just trigger. It's like self-sabotaging yourself, isn't it? Completely. When you're in a tough situation. Completely. Talking about tough situations. Yes. I want to talk about toxic relationships. Go for it. Toxic relationships are a term that I see everyone talking about now. And often yeah. I think we're confused around mm-hmm. what a toxic relationship is. Yeah. Could you define it for me? Yeah. It's funny because a lot of people go, I'm not in an abusive relationship. Because I think some, well, yeah, some people think abuse means physical. When it's not, it's emotional, you know, it's it's um, someone constantly crossing your lines and, and making you feel, quite frankly, like shit. Um, so, yeah, there is this, it's, it's wild, but a lot of people are in emotionally abusive relationships and they will, they'll come to me for a session and they will stand in front of me or sit in front of me, should I say, and say, you know, no, no, he's fine. He's just, you know, it's a bit misunderstood. He's not abusive. He's never hit me, but, you know, he did call me this name and he did, you know, didn't speak to me for two weeks and I'm like that's abuse (laughs) that is abuse and it's amazing how many people don't realize that they are in that situation at the time and narcissists is another word Mm. that I've seen people throw around a lot of the time yeah how do you spot narcissist I think and actually you're right it's a people are it's very trendy word at the moment people are throwing it left right and center and at the end of the day we all have narcissistic traits I was gonna say because sometimes I listen to podcasts I'm like am I a narcissist (laughs) What is happening? I'm like, what the hell? Some of the traits are like quite positive, and I'm like, I have those. Or like some yeah. of them are just like, I can't remember some of them. Yeah, I don't know healthy what they are. narcissism, absolutely. So it's you know having a drive to be successful, um, you know, looking well and fit. Some might say that's uh, somatic narcissism, you know, mm-hmm. to, to look a certain way or whatever. But if you know health is a drive for you, then. Mm-hmm. Is that unhealthy narcissism? Probably not. You know, no, it's confusing. But how how do you actually identify a bad narcissist, as we call so, it? Narcissistic personality disorder can only be diagnosed by a mental health professional. So uh, while I might say, look, these are the traits, these are the signs, these are the symptoms, 
at the end of the day, to actually be classified as a narcissist, you would have to go. That person themselves would have to go and get checked. And if you are a narcissist or you know someone that's a narcissist, the likelihood of them going to get checked is it's very never gonna slim. Happen. No. Yeah. Because they'll be such in denial, you know. Obviously. There's a running joke where people will go, Am I a narcissist? And it's like, well, if you're worrying that you're a narcissist, the likelihood is you're probably not a narcissist. Because if you okay. were a narcissist, you wouldn't give a damn. Oh, really? <laughs> you, know, you just wouldn't care. You it wouldn't even cross your mind because you do what you do and you are who you are. Okay. Um But see, people think that's a good thing to be like that. It's confusing. People are like, yes. who you are, be, be yourself, don't worry about other people, don't care about yeah. other people's opinions. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that is, you're right, isn't it? It's, it's almost tricky. becoming like a trend, isn't it? To be like, yeah. oh, fuck what everyone else thinks, just yeah. do you. When actually, <laughs> no, you should have some empathy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, if you're harming others, obviously, you know, put your boundaries down, you know, achieve your dreams, do what you've got to do to, to get there. But in the process just check in and make sure you're not harming anyone in, of in the moment there are many signs and I think listen we are all capable of being toxic 2009 you is probably very different to the you that you are today and sure. I'm not saying this that you were definitely like this and or whatever but there might have been times in your life where you did display toxic traits oh definitely behaviors. I'll tell you that now <laughs> before my ex-boyfriend comments <laughs> yes and we're all capable of it um but with terms of narcissists, at the end of the day, they are individuals that are very grandiose in their behavior. They don't give a damn if they hurt people along the way. They have a lack of empathy. They couldn't understand that you might feel a certain way because of their behavior. They'd be like, I don't get it. They cannot physically put themselves in your shoes. Um, you might, a lot of um, people with high narcissistic traits tend to be CEOs or actually really successful people mm. because they're just going to run over people and push people past to get to get to the top. And I'm not saying that's for every single person. Of course. At all. But you'll often find, you'll often find them as policemen, lawyers, doctors. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, they're the professions that you're most likely to find someone with MPD. It's interesting because... I'm sure people listening to this podcast will be like, I know a narcissist in my life. Yeah. And I can't bloody get rid of them because yes. they're either a family member, family friend, in-law, yeah. whatever. Yeah. How do you deal with a narcissist? You close the door and you, you cut all contact is, is the short answer. But what if they're like a family member? You cut contact. It doesn't matter if they're blood. If they are harming you or... But what if they're not harming you? What if they're just a narcissist in Then general? you can place boundaries and you can communicate those boundaries, those lines. Like, look, I don't want you coming around my house unannounced. You must call me at this time in this day and tell me when you're coming to my house. And of course, if I'm free, we'll have a cup of tea and you can then go on your way. But what if they're like, you're so ridiculous? That's a bit intense. Then you just say, well, that's, that's my line. That's what I want to do. And if you can't respect that, then or meet me in the middle there, then so be it. You won't be coming around to my house. It, it sounds that. harsh, mm. but at the end of the day, I always say to people, the clue in when you need to place a boundary with anyone, I'm not talking about narcissists here, anyone, is when, if I'm coming to you and I go, oh, so-and-so was so annoying the other day, they did this, this, and this, and I'm, going, I'm really bitching to you now, and I'm like, oh, God, they're so bloody annoying. That is often a sign that you need to place a boundary. Yeah. Why were they annoying you? Oh, well, they came unannounced to my house. Okay, well, tell them next time. It would be better if they could give you a heads up before they came unannounced to your home. Mm. Whatever the case or situation yeah. is. Um, so, yes, while in 
while I'm saying no contact and cut all contact, obviously with some situations, especially when you're co-parenting with a narc or your mum or dad is a narc or whatever, you either, you have to make the decision, is it no contact or is it extremely strong boundaries that you're going to stand by and they're not going to break because you're standing by them and they're so strong and firm. It, that is a decision for, for you to, to make. But I often say, especially if someone is in a relationship with somebody that's highly narcissistic and got narcissistic traits, if they, if you don't have a house with them or you don't have children with them, there's no ties, mm. no, no contact. They're not going to be in your life as a friend. They're abusive to you. They manipulate you. They're controlling. They're not nice to you. They don't deserve a place in your life. Go no contact. But that self-worth isn't there for so many people. And a lot of people say that, yeah, okay, but I don't have anyone else. I'm never going to yeah. find anyone else. And I think the best piece of my advice my dad gave me was when I was struggling as to whether I should stay in a relationship or not. He said, Shivani, if you didn't have, if you weren't enjoying your job, would you tell me that you're not going to leave because there's no other jobs in the world? <laughs> Or would you just stay in that job and be miserable forever? And I was like, well, obviously I would leave the job. There's millions of jobs in the world. And he was like, yeah, but what if you're not qualified? I was like, well, there'll be something I'm qualified for. Yeah. He was like, exactly. So when you're not happy in a relationship, there are, I say this all the time, and I think it's because my parents have been really positive with that reinforcement from a young age. There are millions of people in the world. Like, why on earth do you think you're not going to find someone? Yeah. It's bizarre to me. Like I, it's by the way, I'm not saying it's easy yeah. when you have to really leave a relationship. It's very difficult. You have a lot of emotional attachment. You have a lot, a lot of social attachment. Sometimes mm -hmm. your friends are really similar. Some people are living together. Whatever. It's hard. But at the end of the day, you have one life. Yeah. And when you have one, you, when you think about the fact that you just have one life and that's it, and then you're yeah. just going to die after. Yeah. You're never going to get the chance to feel that love or that affection or that feeling again. Yeah. Why would you waste it on someone? It's mad. But it's crazy. that's the power of therapy. Because so many people will come to me and say that, I'm never going to find love like that again. And they genuinely believe it. And actually, they might, they may genuinely feel very lonely. They might actually not have family, friends, a network that, you know, they might not have that support. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of therapy is to actually remind them, but you can get it. You can, you know, you can find new friends. You will find love again. And it's just get it. It's just sort of, ingraining it into that person, building up their self-worth, mm -hmm. their self-confidence through different tools that we we um, demonstrate in therapy. Tell me one of them, because I know a lot of people at the moment are finding it difficult to deal with the pressure of not being married by a certain age. Mm -hmm. I talk about this all the time. Yeah. We are so obsessed with the age we should be married yeah. at, especially yeah. within my culture. People are like, oh my God, you're 13, you're not married. I'm so sorry. Is everything okay? Yeah. And I've I've been speaking to some girls recently and some of them are like, I really need to find someone. And I'm looking everywhere and I'm doing everything. And my advice is always like, stop looking and you will find. Yes. But that is a bit airy-fairy, sure. isn't it? If I'm completely honest. If yes. I if I wanted to find someone and someone was like, stop looking and you'll, you'll come to you, I'd be like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that rubbish advice. But I really believe that you know, the energy you put out is the energy you attract. Absolutely. But in terms of your perspective, you've got yeah. some specific tools for people. Yeah. Tell me some of them. So actually one of them is go and do something you enjoy. And everyone looks at you and goes, oh, that's the lamest advice ever. <laughs> but actually, no, 
whatever it is, I, I don't care if it's the running club or the book club or mm. pottery, what, football, whatever it is that your heart sings when you do it. If you don't know what that is, go and try something out. Do something new. Go rock climbing. I don't, I don't know. Whatever it is that you fancy doing, just do it. And what happens here is when you've gone once or twice, you start building your confidence and you really start enjoying it. And that's your sort of pleasure zone and you keep going back. And something very interesting might happen. You might meet someone at the club, you know, that has the same enjoyment as you. That might be someone that you fancy or it might Mm -hmm. be actually a friend. And then what happens is with that individual, say it is a friend, then you might meet other people from that person. And then guess what? You actually might end up meeting somebody romantically. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other side is you are building your self-identity and your Mm self-worth. And you know who you are and what you're passionate about and your hobbies. So when you do happen to walk out in the big wide world and you do tend to bump into somebody who might be, you know, potential partner, and they say to you, you, what are you into? You can say, oh, I do this for a living and this is my hobby, you know. You, you, it's that confidence of owning yourself again. It's that self-worth. So that's the biggest, that's the first tool we often say is go out there and find yourself. Go and enjoy the things you like doing. And guess mm-hmm. what? Doors and opportunities might come your way. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is, again, like I said to you in the beginning is, what do you want? You know, people always go, oh, someone that is really nice to me. And no, 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 what is it that you want in a partner? Mm. What does your life look like? How is somebody gonna match that? How is someone gonna, I don't know, potentially make it a bit better for you? What is it that you want? And look at that list every day, put it on a wall, put it on your mirror. And when someone comes into your life and you go, oh, they're great, uh, but they don't, and I'm not saying everyone's gonna tick your boxes, but for example, oh, they don't, they're, 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 I don't know, let's just say they're not a vegan and veganism is very important to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, oh, they don't tick that box. It's just kind of a reminder to yourself that, okay, actually this is what I want. If that person doesn't match it, okay, that's fine. But this is my life. It's that reminder again of like, you've only got one chance mm. to do it properly. And, 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 you know, eventually someone will come along and, and tick all those boxes or be aligned in most of those boxes for you. A lot of people get a bit uptight when I say boxes as they go, oh, no one is perfect. No, they're not. But if someone meets you and they're a meat eater or yeah. a vegan, you know, there might be, so, I'm not saying that there will be conflict, but you know, there might be some conflict down the line. So you, it's, it is worth just checking that you're aligned on, on different aspects of life. That is so true. Because I think the compatibility is, is key. Do you think compatibility is more important or love is more important? Compatibility. Really? Yeah, I do. Why? Because when you love someone, mm. you often can't, you can't explain it. Yeah. I got asked that once. Do you love them or not? And yeah. I said, yeah. Did, then that's it. The That was it. And I was like, it's not enough. But it's not enough. Love is not enough. So do you think really love is funny. enough? No, it's funny you say that. In therapy, when I have a client who is in a toxic or abusive relationship, whatever you want to call it, an unhealthy relationship... And I asked them, what do you love about your partner? Nine times out of 10, this person will say to me, oh, I just can't explain it. It's just, we have this chemistry. It's just so great. It's so wonderful. Yeah, I can't put my finger on it, but you know, I love them. It's just, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. If I ask a client who is in a healthy relationship, what do you love about your partner? 
they will give me tangible evidence. They will say they are so loyal. You know, we're best friends. We do this together. He's caring. Um, yeah, he's yeah. caring. Give actual concrete examples of why they love that person. Love is not enough. You have to be aligned with somebody. You have to trust them. And, and, and you know, it's, you, yeah, you've just got to be aligned with them. I think it's hard to sometimes know who you are and to be aligned with yourself, because mm -hmm. sometimes you're questioning yourself so much. So when you're not aligned with someone and you have completely different interests, I think it's really difficult. What do you think of the phrase opposites attract? Yeah, look, it can work. It absolutely can work. But I think, you know, You've got to be a person that's going into the relationship and going, it doesn't bother me that I'm a gym junkie and I love, you know, exercise and it's my life and all my friends and family are into it. And then you meet a partner who can't climb the can't climb a flight of stairs because they'd rather sit on the sofa and eat delivery. Not judging anyone. But how would that work? I well, actually exactly. don't believe opposites attract. Yeah. Well, I believe go. opposites attract in terms of temperament, yeah. which is good because yeah. I'm really fiery. Yes. So if I'm with someone who's fiery, it is difficult at times. Absolutely. You need someone to pacify you. Yeah. But unfortunately, I always find people who are fiery and we just have to <laughs> blow it out and then get over it. But I've calmed down, I think, over the years. Yeah. I used to be way more fiery when I was younger. I know people probably think I'm really fiery now, but when I was younger, <laughs> I was way more fiery. But I think your characteristics and your, your values can't be opposite, yeah. I don't think. Absolutely. And I think your habits cannot be opposite. Your characteristics can be maybe like, I can be chatty, they can be quiet, I can yep. be loud, they can be whatever. But I think in terms of like your values, in terms yep. of your, like, I think the reason why me and my partner are just so compatible is because we both wake up so early. We both love going to the gym. We both love having a balance of food. We yep. both love doing so many things that interest us. Yep. And we're so aligned on those things. So we never argue about little yep. things. You've actually articulated it better than what I was trying to say about the, <laughs> the, the list. But exactly, it's the values. Yeah. You know, it's not a, are they seven foot nine? You know, it's not of that course. box. Obviously, put it in the list if you want to. But yeah. actually, what are your core needs? What are your core values? What are your morals? Yeah. If you met someone that is totally opposite to you, yeah, you're right. It's probably not going to work in the long run. And I think identifying somebody's morals is really difficult because mm. you could say, oh, I didn't like the fact that you did that and I didn't, and I thought it was really out of order. And yes. it's only when that behavior is repetitive that you recognize it's something deeper. Yeah. But I also think it's important to date. Yeah. And I, it's important to be with someone for, for a period of time before you make a big commitment to Absolutely. them, such as marriage. Yeah. But a lot of people feel pressured to get married and a lot of people feel pressure to say a commitment to someone mm -hmm. because they feel that that's the only way that that person is going to give them love. Yeah. Have you experienced that with any clients? Yeah, many times. There is a societal pressure, especially, you know, in different cultures, especially. Mm -hmm. I do think we are getting there in terms of, you know, actually, no, I don't want kids and I don't want to get married. Mm -hmm. You know, we're more open to that. Loads of people. I have lots of clients that are in open relationships and guess what? It works. Open relationships mm -hmm. are a new phenomenon here. Yes. I don't really understand them. Mm -hmm. Is it the way of the world? Is it, is it going to be the future that we're all in open relationships? Potentially for some people. Yeah. And why is it? Explain, give me the argument for it because I'm obviously against it. Because um, <laughs> I'm a bit traditional like that. Again, it's being aligned with somebody, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If I meet you and say, look, I like you, but I want to keep things open for other people. And you're like, yes, same. Great, let's do it. It's about, again, True. communicating your needs, your values, your, your bucket list. Mm -hmm. I say bucket list, your tip boxes, your green flag list. And if you are the same, then great. 
Mm, that's so, so true. Some actually. people just have an open view on things, and you know that it's not necessarily wrong or, or right or whatever, but it, it might be right for that person. Yeah, and it works for them. Yeah. So, kind of, who are we to be like? That shouldn't be your value, actually. Yeah, your value should be that you're closed. Absolutely. Before we close, yes, I have one question. Yes, because so many people have been asking me this recently, which is, I'm really finding it hard to get over a breakup. Mm-hmm. Give me your top piece of advice. Yes. First of all, there's nothing there's nothing worse than a breakup. It's it's a horrendous feeling. We all know it, and I think there's often this kind of I need to be over it by this uh, this set time. The truth is, you don't know when you're going to get over something, so don't berate yourself if you're still feeling low or down even months after the relationship or however long. So just you know, know that your time will come when it's ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just go with the flow and accept that. Second thing is it's again, it's doing the things that you love. It's reminding yourself of the hobbies that you might potentially, or the interests that you might potentially have stopped doing when you were in the relationship. We're all guilty of that. We might, you know, we all want to put all the focus on our our partner when actually the trick is not to really do that. Obviously you've got to compromise, but you know, remind you, you know, make sure you keep doing the things you love. But anyway, when you're going through the breakup, revisit those interests and hobbies and activities surround yourself with friends, family, go and meet new people. Just keep the mind open because not to get scientific on you, but when we go through grief as humans or breakups, what happens in the brain is our neural pathways. So imagine it like a spider web. Mm-hmm. The bit of the web breaks when we're going through stress. And that's what causes the brain to go, Ugh! and we then cry, we have sleepless nights, we're angry with people, we shut down. That's simply because your brain is going, oh my God, I can't handle this. It's changed. I don't know what to do because the neural pathway was going this way and all I ever knew in life was that it was me and my partner in the future and now Mm -hmm. it's no longer that. Yeah. To mend those neural pathways is you need to create new memories. So you need to do new things. You need to meet new people. You need to put yourself out there. And that is the only way you can mend a broken heart is mending neural pathways. But it's hard. It is hard. No one said it was going to be easy. And and like with grief, and again, it's it it never really leaves you. Mm. But in time it will, and you'll notice actually, oh, it's been it's been two weeks I haven't been crying in front of the TV with a so bo- you know, with a bottle of wine and some Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You know, it after a while things do get better, things do improve, but you have to do the work. Therapy, of course, is always I'm biased, but always a great great help in that as well time is such a healer and I I think the number one thing I always remember that helped me get through difficult times like that was you broke up with them for a reason yes or the relationship ended for a reason Mm -hmm. and it's so normal to reflect on the good times and it's so normal to want to remember the fun times the happy times absolutely the jokey times and think that was the relationship Mm -hmm. but remember all the times you were sad yes and remember how you don't have to go through that anymore. Yeah. And for me, I always used to have anxiety and I was like, I'm free. Yeah. Like I'm actually free. So yeah. there's no point in me being upset because I don't every week have to feel this yeah. anxious feeling creeping up on me. Mm-hmm. I can actually just let go. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think that we will all find our soulmate or partner. Yeah. We'll always be okay in the end. And we'll always be okay in the end. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. So and I hope to meet you. So lovely to meet you. And I hope to see you soon. Yes, definitely. Have a for wine. Definitely. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Wherever you're listening or watching, if you could press the like, follow and subscribe button, it would mean the world to me.